Hello, I'm Healing the Podcast acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land on which this podcast is being recorded on, the Wurundjeri region. We pay further acknowledgement to country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples here today. Welcome to Hello, I'm Healing, the podcast. I'm your host, Renee, and I'm so excited to have you here. This is the podcast for sharing stories, experiences, and journeys of medical traumas and illness. A safe space for you to feel educated and hopefully less alone in whatever you are going through. This is the podcast of breaking down topics that some find taboo or uncomfortable, and instead help empower you, help educate you, help you feel less alone, and more importantly, help you heal. Because at the end of the day, you aren't alone. So without further ado, let's get started. Hello and welcome back to Hello, I'm Healing, the podcast. I'm so excited for today's episode. It's going to be a really, really exciting one and hopefully you'll get a lot out of it. But I'm going to introduce today's guest speaker who is Courtney. So Courtney, thank you so much for being here. Oh, first of all, Renee, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. It's an absolute pleasure. I'm so excited for today's chat and just to hear, I know there's going to be so much goodness. So let's dive into it. Do you want to introduce yourself, tell the listeners a little bit about you, who you are, your background, and just some fun stuff about you? Oh, perfect. So, yeah, my name's Courtney, and I come from New Zealand, as you can probably tell from my um, down south voice right now. Um, Yeah, just I was just a typical um, 20-something-year-old doing heroic, things like that. And then I came back from London to New Zealand, and a bit about my story. So I just kind of come back and had a routine smear. I had never had anything abnormal before um so it was a bit shock when they come back and said abnormal cells and I said oh okay well I've never had this before so I asked a few of my friends and everyone's like oh no you'll be fine like it's so normal to have abnormal cells like kind of made it out like every second person had kind of had that so I was like okay cool like never in my wildest dreams you know did I expect it to be anything further um and yeah and then I waited for like two weeks and I had to have a bit of a biopsy and I still you know didn't really think anything would be wrong and then I I still remember it to this day so clearly it was actually the 10th of August and um, I was at work I had just had a call before that about getting a new job so I was really excited and um, yeah they rang me up and was like you have cervical cancer wow and yeah like as you can imagine I was just completely shocked like that day is just kind of a bit of a blur (laughs) to tell you the truth I didn't even know what a cervix was until I had cancer of it like I think as women we you know we don't really think about a lot in your 20s you know in terms of that so I kind of come home and obviously flew into a mad panic and things like that and yeah I guess for me it was a kind of wild ride so first of all um, yeah I just had a couple of doctor's appointments and things like that where it just kind of kept getting worse and worse I guess that the tests that keep coming back and um, all of a sudden over a space of about a month I'd got to the point where you know they said you 
need a radical hysterectomy. And I think kind of our parents' age and having gone through that, understood that a lot more than myself. Like, obviously, I knew what that meant, but I was in such shock and I guess in fight or flight mode in terms of just surviving. I was kind of, okay, yes, like, let's do it. You know, sometimes now I wish I'd, I'd looked into a bit more in terms of fertility and things like that. Um, so I had that in about the September and then I they took some lymph nodes out while they were at it. So obviously it was quite a, it was quite a horrific recovery in terms of anything that could go wrong post-surgery went wrong. So that was a rocky road. Um, and then the lymph nodes come back and they said there was some speckles in them, which apparently put me at a higher, I guess, grade. I can't remember what the name was in terms of cancer so then they said you know you are so young I was 27 years old this happened so they said you know you'll need chemotherapy and radiation yeah and I guess once again it was just fight or flight mode like let's get this done let's live so I kind of went through all that process very much a blur I think at the time and when you're in that you're just literally getting through yeah yeah and I guess it wasn't till after that kind of initial treatment and things that it was like wow what's just happened you know I kind of described it and I like most people would you kind of put on a washing machine and just kind of tossed around and then you just get spat back out and it's like okay go back to normal life now (laughs) yeah absolutely I mean I think that's such a great analogy and a way to put it is put into a washing machine and then you do your cycle and you get thrown out and does anyone actually hang you out to dry (laughs) (laughs) that's the thing yeah absolutely so we're going to talk more about today the recovery after cancer and I think that's a really important topic to cover because we do hear all the horror stories of things that can happen during cancer treatment and things like that and A lot of people don't talk about the aftermaths of going through something like that, but also being 27 years old and having to go through a hysterectomy. So maybe we can kind of start there if you're open to it. And let's talk about that because, again, I I don't know a whole lot about that either. I'm I'm 29 and I was fortunate enough to, you know, do fertility and, and put some eggs in the freezer. But what did that involve and what does that mean for you now? Perfect. So, I mean, as I said... I guess the reality of everything didn't really set until after. And I think, you know, five years on now, I'm still coming to terms with that if I even have, if that makes sense. So with a radical hysterectomy, it meant that they obviously went full haul on me in order to like give me the best outcome. So They took my womb, they took my cervix, my fallopian tubes, but they left my eggs Now, everything was such a whirlwind, you know, when this was happening. And there was a bit of a, I guess you could call this a medical trauma. There was a bit of a disconnect between the fertility specialists and the surgeon. And they booked me in for surgery for the hysterectomy without actually talking to me about fertility or egg freezing, which was really crazy. And by the time this all happened, they said, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. we, We don't need to get some eggs. And I think when you're in that fluster and you're not really listening, you're not really thinking straight and you're just thinking about saving your life, you kind of plough forward with what they say to do. I guess you don't really have breathing room to think, oh, mm-hmm. what does this look like for me? So I had this directed to me and I guess 
going forward from that, um, because I was single and, you know, the years since I've kind of been focused on recovery, it hasn't really, you know, been at the forefront of my life yet. But I think, you know, now that I'm in my early 30s, it's been really difficult, you know, the last couple of years because I'm, I'm more at that age now where, you know, my friends have all started to have kids and, you know, that, that's it's been so exciting and I've been so happy. But at the same time, I, I feel like I've started to mourn something. And, you know, it might be as simple as I see a, a beautiful pregnant person and, and then it dawns on me, you know, I won't have that experience. Because obviously with a hysterectomy, I'd be fortunate enough to still have some eggs. So I'm really hoping one day when it comes to it, to go down the surrogacy route. Now, I guess that's a whole different story in itself and might save that side of things for another day with you because I haven't actually got to that part yet but yeah absolutely in terms of yeah I guess egg freezing I was fortunate enough to post cancer to go to Melbourne where I lived for three years and they just had the most incredible hospital and fertility unit and obviously it was so extremely challenging when all your friends are kind of having babies and you know what you're doing is just trying to freeze eggs to give yourself the best chance going forward so I was really fortunate enough to pay myself, but um, it was discounted through the cancer, which was really great. Um, And I managed to get a few eggs, but I guess that's where it links in with the medical trauma because, you know, they kind of said, oh, you know, your eggs will be fine. And I had a, you know, really high egg count before everything. And then afterwards, I had really low so I kind of went through the process of kind of, I think I did five rounds of IVF for egg retrieval and wow, I got about 15 eggs, which may sound like a lot, but a normal, I guess, egg carrying person might get 15 plus out of one round, mm-hmm. put that into context. So I'm really lucky and I'm really fortunate and grateful to be able to get some eggs because um, I know a lot of cancer survivors may not have had the opportunity, but I guess for me, yeah, it's more just, it took me a long time to realize I was actually mourning an organ and an experience I won't have if that makes sense. Absolutely I think it's really important that people understand that grief is so much more than just losing a person because I felt very similar going through my situation and I just remember my beautiful nurse saying to me because I felt I went through seven stages of grief very quickly and I remember the conversation of her saying to me Renee you're experiencing grief and it's so normal because the one thing in your life that you never thought that you would lose you've lost and that's your health and you it sounds like you went through a similar thing the one thing that you know you're a female you think that one day you will be able to carry your own child and things like that and that was taken away from you and that was never expected so the grief of that is so normal and so valid I love how you have just described it um I think you know people think loss is as a, a physical thing or you know something growing but I think the the grief of an experience has just been huge you know thinking of I guess never getting to carry the baby never having that kind of normal pregnancy experience so I guess 
a lot of my healing post cancer has been you know more with that emotional side of things if that makes sense yeah absolutely so what has that emotional and and mental health kind of journey looked like for you after going through that and where, where are you at now with that so I come from a really small town in New Zealand and it was just I think really challenging post-cancer you know you just I I guess I just felt like everyone knew and I felt like a lot of the sympathy you know it, it was so fantastic but in some ways I needed to grow and take charge myself so I actually made the decision and it was a huge decision four months after I finished treatment I actually moved to Australia um, my sister was there in Melbourne so all my I guess post healing journey actually took place in Melbourne and it was such a, a blessing in the sense of the incredible health care that you know was there so I guess for me that first year out of cancer um, it was still kind of a blur you know friends say to me now like you weren't really you obviously <laughs> that year and so you know everyone says to you oh you know but you must be so lucky to be alive but that year was just the strangest thing I have always suffered with anxiety so that's something I kind of knew how to deal with and that was something you know extremely normal after cancer but I'd never experienced depression before and it took me about nine months till I hit absolutely rock bottom like you know I'd see I, I was in, in Italy that year with my sister and I'd see a pregnant person I'd just start crying and I didn't actually realize I was depressed like no one ever sat me down healthcare wise after cancer and was like this is what you could expect like these are the symptoms you should look out for so I spent a whole year in the depths of depression not knowing what was wrong with me because you know I wanted to be happy so much I was so grateful to be alive when so many people's journeys don't go that way yet all I wanted to do was cry I didn't want to do anything I didn't have any enjoyment for life you know I couldn't sleep and finally I guess when I hit rock bottom I said something's wrong to my family and I said you know I just have to sort this out so I ended up going to a really great doctor and when straight away he was like you're depressed <laughs> you know and you know I've always been kind of a you know big holistic person in the sense of you know sleep eat you know exercise type thing you know in order to help my anxiety but it just got to the point where you know I needed some medical help when it came to the depression and anyway I went on some antidepressants and it absolutely changed my life yeah absolutely I was just like a whole different person so it was like I guess for me that first year or two was about getting all these puzzle pieces in place like sorting out my mental health you know going to a counsellor and then from that point on I could start looking at exercise and healthy eating and I think most people could agree after cancer there's just so much to think about yeah absolutely I think one of the the one things that you can do and this is just from me I'm only four months post-treatment but it's controlling what you can control and that's all you can do oh 100% like yeah I just felt like I just had to take charge and once I sorted out my mental health 
hell because it's just such a like lonely and isolating experience and I think for me in my post-cancer journey mental health for me was definitely at the forefront of my recovery you know that was one of my biggest issues which you know I look back now and this is what's so incredible about what you're doing and this podcast and you know it's so isolating as a you know that kind of young adult stage recovering because people were getting on with their own lives you know a lot of my friends they started buying houses and getting married and having children whereas for me it was just like these little steps is what I needed to keep taking to go forward yeah absolutely I think as humans we are so conditioned to to play the comparison game and to think that the people around us are ahead because they're buying houses or having families and getting married and and all of these things but at the end of the day like it's so important just to remember like remain in your own lane and just focus on that and we all do things at different times in our life and and that's so normal and so okay but I I totally understand how hard it can be to not compare because I've been there so many times even before all of this once I got kind of like you know there's exactly what I told myself I actually had a note beside my bed you know as cheesy as it sounds being like you know stay in your own lane like you know you're going through this health joint journey and these are things you need to focus on so I guess for me you know in that healing journey I joined a gym I tried my best to eat well (laughs) doesn't always go that way and it took me about a year and a half afterwards to kind of start to relax and be like you know what I'm human you know if I drink a bit too much red wine that's fine they I guess the doctors after cancer really give you these strict criteria of what you're supposed to do like this is how much you meant to exercise this is what you need to eat you know in order to prevent a reoccurrence and I think for me it was just like once I started to kind of allow myself to just be me do my best and know that was okay I think you know I finally started to heal yeah I think that's beautiful I think that you because you are so in tune even with the holistic side of thing when you holistic side of things when you were able to merge the two together and balance that you that you are where you are now and I think obviously modern medicine there's such a place for it in today's society and world and it's so needed but so is holistic medicine and so is being in tune with those things and movement and exercise and just nourishing your body but also like enjoying the things that you enjoy and if you enjoy a glass of red wine like that's so fine I mean I I never got told when I left the the hospital world uh I was never told okay don't do this don't do that because I was already doing all those things prior so they're like okay just go back to life (laughs) yes and that's what like I struggled so much like I don't know if it's just the two different healthcare systems but yeah there was a lot of don't do's and I was so scared, just so scared for that first year post-cancer, you know, what am I doing? You know, every time I binge ate on some, you know, brie and cheese and crackers and all the things I love, you know, I I feel guilty. And it took me a long time just to be like, you know what, I'm going to carve what I want my life to look like going forward. And I mean, obviously there has been a lot of changes in the journey. I'll just quickly touch on something that I don't, you know, not a lot of people know about, but afterwards, one of my, as well as the mental health, I guess my other big issue that's kind of plagued my recovery has been this condition called lymphedema. It is when you get lymph nodes taken out and then in turn, those limbs are more susceptible to infection. So unfortunately for me, having so many pelvic 
and abdominal lymph nodes out I have lymphedema on my legs so for me I guess that's been a big healing journey too because it's something that can't be cured but it can be managed so you know that involves me doing you know lymphatic drainage massages everything from what I eat drink affects my legs since then I've actually ended up in the hospital about five times with cellulitis which is kind of an infection that needs IV antibiotics so for me I guess that ties into the health journey because I still have something going forward that I really need to take control of and you know look after myself in regards to yeah absolutely and it's such that balancing act again you know you controlling what you can control and doing the things that you can do to not prevent it but prepare for it and and help with what you can so I'd love to know during all of this and after treatment and things like that who who was your support during that time? I, as you said, it can be really lonely and, and mental health can be really lonely. And it's one of the reasons that way here talking about it is because you're not alone in it. There are so many people out there who are going through it and feeling alone. And we want to start to break that down and, you know, validate people's feelings and emotions during that time. But who are your support and who was there for you during that time? Perfect. So, I mean, I just had the most incredible family. Like, I'm, I'm so, so lucky and blessed to have them. My mum is just beautiful. She's like my best friend. And my constant downs, they were able to counteract, I guess, with positive words of affirmation, which would bring me up. So I'm incredibly lucky to have, you know, a really close family really great friends but I think you know a big mention for me was trial and error but I found a really good counsellor and for me just having that other person there that wasn't your family and friends to vent to go around in circles with you know and the good and bad days was absolutely incredible for me so I think for anyone in anything cancer trauma just general hardships you know honestly having a counsellor is just incredible and I think for me I don't know if I could have got through the last few years without that support yeah absolutely I think it's also important to note that you don't have to have something going wrong in your life to seek out a counselor you know you can be you can be baseline and um one of my beautiful friends actually wrote a book and it's called life above zero and I would really recommend it to you and it's about you know living life above the baseline you don't have to have things going wrong to go and see seek professional help you can go and seek professional help when you're at zero so that you don't fall below that line so yeah just um yeah a little plug to her and um to you that her book is called life above zero and it's absolutely phenomenal and her, what's the author called her name is Lauren Kerr perfect thank you for sharing that yeah no worries so being on the other side and going through that now and you are now is it five years uh, yeah five years on the 10th of August which was really exciting wow so in your world and your doctors and over in New Zealand did they classify that as cured now or no um I think no one's really they're reluctant to say that word but we're fortunate with in my cancer in particular as I think it is the type of cancer where there is that I guess they're more willing to use the word cured I mean I had a google the other day and I was like what does five-year cancer-free mean and a lot of it was saying cured I mean I think 
it could come back in any time, but I think the chances at five years are obviously really, really low. So I'm really fortunate for that. And, you know, it was a really exciting time, but yeah, I guess I just always try to remember myself when I get caught up in everyday life again to just remember everything that's been and just be so grateful for where I'm at now. Yeah, absolutely. And so compared to your first year, so your first year out of those experiences that you went through and the hysterectomy and and the treatment and all of that, and then you faced depression for the first time in your life. And are you a spiritual person at all? Yes, definitely. I would count myself as a spiritual person. Yeah, I've been hearing this a lot around me lately that it was almost um, like a rebirth. You had to rediscover who you were and what you enjoyed and what you liked and the things that brought you joy before might not have brought you, might not bring you joy anymore. So then you were going through that phase of, you know, dealing with depression and hitting rock bottom and then almost rebirthing and rediscovering who you are. Am I right in saying that or am I just making complete assumptions? (laughs) No, oh my gosh, that is exactly how it went. Honestly, like I know a lot of people, I mean, I could honestly say if I would change it, I'm not sure I would because I wouldn't have be, I guess, where I am today and who I am today. It was such a hard few years recovery. But I think about for me, three years in, something just switched and I really started to come out the other side. I mean, for me, I was always really lost career in a career sense and I never knew what I wanted to do. I always struggled in that department and certain things that could have only come from having had cancer started to align for me. Um, When I was in Melbourne, I was just really searching for something to make my heart kind of, I guess, just like a warm fuzzy in my heart. You know, I think after cancer, a lot of things you do just don't have the same meaning as they did before cancer. So for me, I actually signed up and started going on camps with camp quality children. Honestly, like the first camp I come back, I was just crying. I was just like happy. So like tears of happiness, just being like, oh my God, like this was the most incredible experience I've ever done. Like to give, to give to people is what gives life meaning after cancer. And from that moment on, I guess it really changed me. And I realized the joy I got from things was actually from helping others and and that gave me joy so it's like by helping others that helps me and then I yeah it led into changing careers completely and last year I was really you know excited to say I completed a master's in teaching which was huge so yeah I studied I just completely went back to university and studied last year and now a teacher so all of this wouldn't have happened you know without the journey I've been on that is phenomenal firstly congratulations that it's so beautiful to hear stories like that and just to hear the impact that you can make after things I mean you can let any situation regardless of what it is you can let it make you or you can let it break you and it truly sounds like you just let this, you know, open up all these different avenues for you. And you truly found the light in something that could have been really dark and really horrible, but you didn't choose that route at all. (laughs) No. Well, I mean, that first year was really challenging. And 
you know, but once I, I guess for me, first and foremost, it's get your mental health under control. Once that was better aligned, I was able to start seeing all the positives. And I guess for me, I just threw myself head in to everything. I tried absolutely everything and anything you try in Melbourne. You know, I took up adults swimming lessons <laughs> at 28. I decided I can't swim properly. I would love to be able to swim properly. So I started doing that. I did, yeah, obviously like the volunteer work through children's organizations. I think you just have to do everything and try everything because your your new normal is so different than it was before, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Just be open to opportunities. Oh, definitely. And I finally feel like I've found my passion and it's teaching. I mean, not one single day feels like a job. I just buzz every single day <laughs> at work and I'm like, I wouldn't have found that without the last, you know, five years. I love that. And you can just hear it in your voice how excited and how passionate you are about that. And I think that the other really important message and such a golden nugget in that is that you are never too old to pivot and to change and to do things that you never imagined that you would have done. Oh, definitely not. Like, it, it was definitely really daunting thinking of going back to study because, you know, last year I was 31 and, um, you know, it, it was definitely challenging because, as I said, you, you can't get sucked into the comparison game. And it is a really strange age where, you know, the milestones look so different between each other. And for me, it was like, this is an investment in my future to change careers and you know, thankfully I had a really supportive family and I've, you know, I've been able to move in home, which is, you know, back in with the parents, which has been huge, but it was a really challenging year, <laughs> like learning how to do an essay again and, you know, all these things I never thought of, but it, it was so incredibly rewarding. And I think as well after cancer, you know, you've got so much fog in your brain and, you know, and I think jumping into something new like that and, and getting passion, it really gave me something to kind of hold to and something to focus on. And I think that's really important in your recovery is finding something which excites you or stimulates your brain or. Totally agree with that. I would love to know how other people around you their response as you were navigating mental health and a hysterectomy if you if you have told I'm, I'm guessing you've told some people that you've had a hysterectomy and stuff like that what's their reaction to be honest I think my close inner circle I mean this is kind of close friends and family not like I guess no one, it's quite hard because, and I guess this is the isolating point, until you're in that position, you, you can't really relate. Like I know a lot of, you know, parents and things like that have had hysterectomies after, you know, children, but I guess it's kind of hard to relate because they've done that after having their families. So I think the emotions are a bit different. I think when you say you've had cancer, people can identify with that more because, you know, they might know a family member or a friend. So that side of things was easy to sympathize with more. And I guess I felt more support in terms of that and the treatment. I think mental health is such a personalized journey for all. And I've, I've found my friends that also struggle with mental health 
really get that and can really support like I support them. But I think for people that may not have touched on that journey yet, it's quite a hard thing to understand. Yeah, like I guess, yeah, cancer is something identifiable. Like, oh, you know, that's so sad. She has cancer and it's easy to help someone in that situation. But I think in terms of fertility and hysterectomy, you know, it's it's just such a tricky subject. And I think a lot of people don't know what to say. So they just don't say anything at all, which I think is what makes it, I guess, the most lonely. Yeah, I feel like they, they don't say anything at all or their first response is, I'm so sorry. It's such a pity place to put someone in. Oh, definitely. I Yeah, I think we're just at this tricky age where until a lot of people start going through fertility things themselves they just don't quite understand yet so I'm definitely at that age where I think more will start happening within my friend groups unfortunately and and then they might understand but I think empathy is a really tough one because I think unless you're able to put yourself in someone else's shoes or you've been in someone else's shoes it's quite a hard one to support people through yeah absolutely I think that fertility in particular is such a topic that needs to be you don't need to walk on eggshells around it but you do need to be sensitive around it because everyone is experiencing that so differently and I'm so grateful that in some other episodes we're really going to touch upon fertility and things like that what it's looked like for other people and and it's not black and white and no absolutely not and I mean as I said when you know I get to that point further down the track you know I will learn so much and know so much and be able to share that with people um for me I guess because I shows to get my fertility treatments done in Melbourne um, when you know most of my family and friends were in New Zealand I think no one really knows necessarily what that looked like or understands that yeah absolutely and so in order for that again you probably don't know too much will that involve you coming back to Melbourne for that or so I guess I touched a little bit with the doctors you know when I was at a point in my recovery where I could start asking questions um I know in New Zealand and Australia it's illegal to kind of pay a surrogate so it makes it a lot more different difficult because you need to kind of I kind of I kind of say you know fight it's like BYO surrogate you know it's up to me to kind of find a surrogate and as you can't pay them like you can in some countries including America the most phenomenal person to offer up I guess their body in that way I have two sisters and I was really lucky and I I guess through the whole experience I thought oh yeah you know they would be able to help me but turns out when you actually go into it there's actually so many rules and so much of a legal process it's so overwhelming so yeah you have to have had your own family first before you can offer yourself to be a surrogate so that's what one thing I found out which kind of blew my mind because I'm actually the oldest of three girls so I was like, oh, wow, (laughs) you know. Right. Yeah, so I found out that. And then obviously I didn't realise there were so many legal costs involved afterwards. So I can't remember exactly Australia, but I know in New Zealand when a surrogate gives birth to your child, it's, it's not actually your child first and foremost. You have to legally adopt the child back off the surrogate. Like even though it might be your eggs and you know your partner's sperm, you have to adopt your child back. And you know, that could be upwards of twenty thousand in legal fees. And that's kind of all the stuff that you just 
don't even know or think about. Oh my goodness. Which I found out was really crazy. Wow. Uh, I'm like mind blown. I know. <laughs> that I'm so shocked by that. It's so crazy that, yeah, biologically it can be your baby, but you would still have to go through something like that in an experience that is already hard enough. Oh, 100%. Um, You know, it's quite funny at the moment. You know, you see a lot of celebrities and stuff and a lot of them are using surrogates and things. And I think the whole process just looks completely different in America and those kind of countries because I guess it's more like a business transaction, whereas in New Zealand and Australia, it's not like that at all. There's a lot of rules, you know, and, and processes in place. Like, I think the whole process could take a very long time. So I guess you've got to find the surrogate and then go through all the necessary steps required in order to do that. Yeah, wow. Well, when that time comes, I would definitely love to have the conversation with you because I think that, again, it's something that we're just so unaware of. And I think it's really important to share if you're open to it, of course. I would be completely open to that and you know that would be such valuable information when I do need to go down that journey to be able to share yeah absolutely I think people when people are vulnerable it is one of the most powerful things that a person can do because it can just help so many people so many people so what's next for you obviously you're working as a teacher what do you hope that life looks like for you next Yeah, well, obviously, alongside the rest of the world, it's just been a crazy, you know, couple of years with COVID. So, you know, in that first year out, my biggest thing would be like travel. And then obviously, things change with the world and um, COVID. So I guess for me, it's just getting settled in a life. Obviously, love my job. And for me, it's about you know, eventually getting that kind of permanent role back home to my hometown, which is really nice being around family and close friends again. And I guess, yeah, just hopefully now that the world's opening up, starting to take back some of the things that I love. And for me, it you know, I just love travel. I'm so passionate about it. And I just can't wait to be able to do more of that. Absolutely. I think we've been ripped off if we could only just like have those two years of our lives back, how lovely that would be. I know, I know. Um, And I mean, the good thing about those two years, I guess, for me was it gave me time to focus on my own journey. But yeah, no, just everything life has to offer, I guess, after cancer. And as I said earlier in the podcast, for me, it's just about I really try to remind myself and reflect a lot on everything and just remind myself just to try everything, be open to experiences and look at, you know, I spend a lot of time looking at my values, like what are my core values? What do they look like? You know, what things in life reflect that? I think, you know, I've I've figured a lot of that out in my journey. So going forward, I just try to do things that make me happy and just give, 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 give to others. Um, That's just the most important thing. Like at, at the end of the day, it may seem like money and things matter, but I think, you know, yes, you'll, you'll relate after near death experiences and things it's just like oh my god it's just people that matter people pets you know, friends 
And I just try to surround myself with all those good things and, yeah, and in turn, just be happy. Yeah, absolutely. Life is for living. And, yeah, I agree. Once you're put in a situation where you're kind of confronted with the possibility of not having life anymore, you have a whole new appreciation for it and you will suck up all the juice that it has to offer. Oh, definitely. So what do you wish that your loved ones knew and how could have they supported you better if they knew better I know that's a hard question sometimes no that's a good one the the, this is kind of loved ones I guess but this goes out to everyone and for any of the listeners out there when it comes to supporting people through you know tough times in their life you would have heard this before but it's the most frustrating thing I just can't stand and it's so unhelpful when people say the word at least in terms of recovery. I felt like sometimes it's toxic positivity. Like that's one thing I'd probably say to loved ones. Like just let let someone that's going through something just sit in it. Like if that makes sense, like just say, I'm so sorry you're going through this. It's shit. Like, it's just rubbish, like, and just leave it as that. I think sometimes that, oh, well, at least you're alive or, well, at least you can try for another baby or at least you've still got something. I think sometimes that toxic positivity, while it's meant in the best intentions, it it kind of invalidates a person's feelings. Yes, 100%. 100%. I got that a lot with you're so strong. And I'm like, please just tell me that this is really crappy and please validate that my feelings are normal and okay 100% like yeah you're just just so positive I got that a lot and it's like that's that's fantastic and that's really nice to hear but it's like I just don't want to have to be positive to keep everyone else feeling like things are okay you know like sometimes I just want to be that like you know like a toddler (laughs) bang my fist like this just sucks you know yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're allowed to have days or an hour or something to throw yourself a pity party. Like, it's so valid. It's so needed. You're absolutely allowed to do that. I would always say to people, but come out of that. Try and pull yourself out of that. Don't pity yourself for too long. Like, yes, it's shit and it sucks, but there, there is light. You'll get there. <laughs> there is light and you will get there. I can confirm that definitely. Like, it's, it's as you said, it's the stages of grief and healing and it might not feel like that in the time, but things do start to shift do you have any last minute advice that you would give any listeners whether they're going through this or whether they've been through it or whether yeah maybe they don't know anyone and maybe they might actually not go through this but any advice that you could give people just on life and and making the most of it well yeah I guess I've got you know a couple of tips and then to finish off I actually had a wee bit of a quote that I wrote um so I guess the the tips for me would be get control of your mental health first and foremost I think you know seeking ways if that's something that's you know a struggle in your post-recovery I think you know healing that first and foremost really helps with your physical recovery I think it's just so intrinsically linked you know mental health and physical health so I think that would be a good starting point. For me personally, I mean, it's hard to say stay positive, but I mean, it's just, it, it, it really is important. I mean, I did whatever I could to find that and to lift me up, you know, whether it's trying a new hobby or 
doing things I enjoy. You know, I think that just just try everything you can. And yeah, I guess just try help yourself in the best way possible by, you know, looking at, you know, health things you could try or fun things you could try. And I think once you do that, you do start to heal. Yeah. I love that. That's, it's beautiful. And it's so important. And I guess, yeah, no. So I, I remember you kind of said, you know, you like to finish off with something. So this is kind of a poem, I guess for me, I just, a lot of times I just write, like ends up just in a diary and I just, just write things, whether it's like quotes or just anything and everything I was feeling. Um, and this is one I, one I wrote, which I think kind of really starts to sum up a journey. So um, as the darkness starts to lift, the fog starts to fade. The little flickers of light grow. The little flickers of light begin, sparkles start to grow. For me, I just kind of felt like that was a really good way of summering up, you know, dark to light, you know? Absolutely. That's beautiful. I literally have like... I have, like, a tear in my eye. <laughs> like the sparkles do come. I promise, listeners, I promise. <laughs> Absolutely. That is so beautiful, honestly. Like, thank you so much for coming on here and thank you so much for sharing and being vulnerable. Like, there was so... Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> there's so much gold in here and so much that people can take and I'm sure will take from this episode it's definitely a come back and listen again because I think that when you listen to it again you're just going to get even more from it and um I can't wait to re-listen to it because and sit there with my notepad and take notes from it because you're just absolutely incredible I'm so inspired by what you have done and overcome and achieved and shared with us so honestly just thank you so much thank you (laughs) well we are gonna leave it there and yeah again just thank you so much for being here thank you thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of hello i'm healing please note that the stories you hear are from real people sharing real experiences and we are not health professionals If today's episode did spark any concern for you, I encourage you to seek professional help and you can see the show notes for contacts. We are an independent podcast, so please like and subscribe and share with your friends and family. It would truly mean the world. Finally, please tag me on Instagram so I can personally thank you for listening. You can find us at underscore hello I'm healing. Until next time, bye for now.